Thomas, Thomas, we're back, my friend, and look. Look who we brought in. We brought in in Tasty Live. Chris Vecchio, let me explain. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Hope this last day of January is treating both of you very well. Um, so far, so good. Talk to us in we have um, an unchanged market. Yeah, right? unchanged market. Vol's coming in pretty uh, well. Actually, Vol's not so coming in this cents, morning, but, but but our positions came. We we played a lot of the earnings plays to the upside. It worked out last night. Um, so much for not trading earnings, though. I so much for not trading. <laughs> I, I trade them. I trade them small. But um, uh, it's like catnip. It's a better morning than last couple mornings for sure. Um, what was I going to ask? So we've decided to take. So, so every week when I do my podcast with Dylan, he he blindsides me, which which they do it on purpose because they figured when when I know the topics ahead of time that it's um, it's less interesting because then I have time to prepare. So I like that approach. So we're going to do the same approach with the Mr. Vecchio here, Mr. Batista. I'm ready. I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of like names, a lot of that, vowels, a lot of vowels. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of Italians. Yeah. That's true. Um, but it is what it is. You know, I got to mm -hmm. deal with it, so I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. Um, but here's my thinking, Chris. Only because there's there's some, you know, there's a lot of Fed chatter about what's going to happen the rest of this week. There's a lot of chatter about lots of things with respect to the economy, and I know you guys like to talk about this fundamentally, but have... I, and, and I got a lot of emails on this topic, which basically customers have written to me. They said, you know, what do you want to happen, Tom? Like, what is the what's the perfect um, what's the perfect storm for this week? Like, what is the best case for the for the stock market as far as like, you know, kind of a, to normalize stock market, to make people think, OK, I don't have to worry about things anymore. Like my argument would be that we're almost in, that this is kind of the perfect world right now, where you have um, some inflation, um, some interest rates. Like I hated zero, I hated no inflation and no interest rates. They made no sense to me. Like it's just not normal. Like I kind of like interest rates a little bit higher than zero. And I like a little bit of inflation because it shows, hey, we're growing, we're, you know, we're building stuff, this is healthy. Um, so I'm going to argue that we're, it's kind of perfect right now. Goldilocks type of thing? Yeah, it's not kind of a Goldilocks. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the, yeah, I'm going to go with the perfect storm almost. That that the Fed doesn't really, you know, we're not even going to get into a discussion where the Fed means anything or doesn't mean anything or the Fed has to do something. Um, but, but I think they have one way or another stumbled into a point right here where maybe everything is about as good as it's going to get. All right, Mr. Vecchio, I'm turning it over to you. What do you think? You know, it, it's funny. As, as Jack Welsh might say, those, those Chicago guys are up to something cooking the books. And so we're going to cook the books here this morning. Hold on, hold on. What the you Fed are is. making a Jack Welsh reference? This is a I very, am. you're a little young to be making a Jack Welsh reference. <laughs> um, Listen, he was on 30 Rock. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to uh, reference him. Really? So, 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 
if you put me in a lab, right, with those Chicago guys, and we have to cook the books for the government to give the best number possible for the stock market, uh, I think we're getting pretty close to that soft landing zone, right? Because you're seeing that inflation pressures are receding, but they're still in positive territory. You're seeing that the jobs market remains incredibly resilient, uh, but wage pressure is coming back down right now. And so if you want the perfect storm, if you're a bull in this market, the perfect storm for you this week is on Wednesday, the Fed raises rates by 25 basis points, and they tell us that we're at the end or very near the end of the Fed hike cycle, which is potentially meaning the March meeting is a one and done. And then when you get to Friday, you see that you have jobs growth in that 200,000 neighborhood or so with wage pressures coming back and anything below 4%, the market would love, love, love. Um, I think really that's the perfect scenario for bulls. If you're a bear, however, that might be an absolute nightmare because under that situation, you see vol get crushed. You could see, obviously, the stock market rally very sharply. And so if you've been selling calls or you've been buying puts or some directional bias in the market uh, tilting to negative deltas, then you're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. So perfect storm depends upon where you sit at the table in terms of your market positioning. What, what does the Fed... First of all, the 25 basis points is is kind of like a given, isn't it? 99.8% priced in according to the CME's <laughs> FedWatch tool. There you go. Okay. That's 99.8 to me is pretty much a given. So so what could happen? Like wh where's the risk on just, you know, like like what does somebody have to say? How do you mess that up? Powell could certainly mess it up, right? He could go ahead and say that they're going to do unpopular things, or he said that they're going to do unpopular things, and the unpopular thing would be giving us a 50 basis point hike. That would be a shock to the system. He probably could also complain about easing financial conditions, which if you want to boil financial conditions down to a few things, it's which way is the dollar gone, how have interest rates moved, uh, where is stock, the stock market gone, where is volatility gone, right? And we know over the past month, vol has come down, rates have come down, stocks are higher, the dollar is weaker. And so he could complain that financial conditions have eased too much, and therefore, he's worried about inflation rearing its head again right now. Outside of that, it, barring again a 50 basis point rate hike, it's going to be difficult for the Fed to meaningfully talk down the market because the market sees the end of the Fed hike cycle in, in the mirror, right? We can see that when you look at the Fed Funds futures curve, we're peaking out around 4.9% and sometimes uh, of that May, June, July window. And it's going to take a lot more for the Fed to convince us that they're going to be going higher than that over the course of this year, particularly given the trajectory of inflation. I mean, Tom, Tony, if you were to just take the month-over-month -month reading that we had in the most, CPI, uh, most recent CPI report and expand that out over the next six months, we could be looking at a two-handle in the year-over-year -year inflation reading by May, June, July at the latest. So this is quickly becoming a different ballgame. And uh, ultimately, I think that's so, the So does the, that the surprise stock? Does that, does that even remotely surprise? Like, it doesn't even, like, it doesn't even, I don't even blink when I hear that because this... I thought that that whole inflation thing was such a blip and everybody was making such a, you know, they were politicizing it, but it was it was a blip. I mean, isn't this, and I guess back to my original question, isn't low inflation and um, isn't low inflation and- Wait, do we have low inflation now? Just curious. I, it's dropping. Yes. Yeah, we do. Yes. I think we do. If yeah. you look at the pace of over the last three months, you're, yeah. you're talking have about- Have you a, seen a eggs? <laughs> minus eggs, okay. Minus eggs. Uh, no, but but have you seen natural gas? Yeah, <laughs> many commodities I mentioned this yeah. morning. Yeah, sure. but but no, I I mean, but low inflation and I mean, where's a perfect interest rate environment for you? 
Oh, that's a great question. There are so many ways to approach this. I mean, you could look at something like the Taylor rule. You could look at... Uh, What's the Taylor? Uh, I don't even know what that is. You basically take the prevailing interest rate, or excuse me, prevailing inflation rate and the GDP number. You multiply them by uh, by 0.5% each. You add an error variable, and you get to where the ideal neutral rate for the economy is long and short of it. No one really pays two, attention to it. It's, it's something that a lot of people that are... Well, I'll say uh, on the financial right to pay attention to because it's always been a tool that the Fed is keeping interest rates too low. Look, we should be having higher interest rates. Um, so the, the point is, you're probably looking at like two and a half percent is where the Fed's long-term rate settles at two and a half, three, depending upon how quick inflation pressures come down. But the soft landing opportunity, that window has opened up because you know we've seen all these negative uh, PMI readings below 50, right? The economy's in contraction. That's not what the GDP report just said. So the economy is clearly weathering the storm. Consumers are incredibly resilient right now. Uh, there may be a day where all this comes due, but in the very short term, we're kind of just muddling through. And I guess that's the best we can ask for right now. And I think that's great for stocks because it, it, when the Fed first downticked from 75 to 50 in the fall, that's when you get this bottoming process beginning in the stock market, right? You could see it in the NASDAQ. It takes place from October through early part of January. You could see it in the S&P 500 in the Russell. The Dow's already starting to outperform during this time frame, but now as the Fed downticks from 50 to 25, right, that deceleration continues, I think stocks are going to have a very difficult time putting this genie back in the bottle. And it's going to be even more difficult for the Fed to turn around and say, no, 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 we need to ramp up the pace of hikes again, lest they suffer another credibility crisis. Tom, you guys know that the Fed is always late to the game. They were late on fighting inflation on the way up. Of course. They're probably going to be, they're probably going to be late stopping the fighting against inflation on the way down. I mean, central banks are notorious, and Fed and central banks are notorious for being not even late to the party they just all there isn't they didn't even get an invite they're just they just stand outside and then try to make adjustments based on what they can see through the window it's not even they're not even they're not even included um i think the best example of central banks and 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 uh, like you know really missing the boat was was china i mean they completely butchered and it's not just you know, interest rates in China, there was a lot of other th things. But the idea that you can mess with, you know, mess with economic cycles and mess with Mother Nature, you know, China was the best example we've seen in a decade of just somebody kind of blowing them, shooting themselves in the foot and blowing themselves up. I think in the U.S., it's because we have such an efficient model for capitalism. What happened here was that we were able to survive and and remain healthy in spite of the fact that the fed over the last let's call it six to seven years completely missed being proactive about what was in front of them i mean there was there was no reason to take interest rates as low as they did knowing that that was only going to force them to take interest rates as high as they you know were forced to this time around and so i think in the future if there's a takeaway from all this it's to say hey you know what there is a sweet spot maybe it's Maybe it's three, maybe it's two and a half, like you said, maybe it's 4%, whatever it is. I prefer the four or 5% level in rates, but whatever it is, it is. Um, but there is a sweet spot and you don't have to go to an extreme on either side, you know, which is the mistake. Like being proactive is, is something that the Fed needs to learn to do, which is exactly why they're not invited to the party. 
But in this case, the, the U.S. economy, the U.S. market structure was able to handle it, and we didn't, you know, we had a down year last year, but we didn't fall off the map like what happened, for example, in China and what happened in other places when, you know, when central banks just completely butchered and when governments just completely butchered, you know, their entire economy and market structure. So I think that um, getting back to the original question, is this kind of the perfect world? And I would argue, yeah, we're, we're right there now. Low inflation and decent interest rates is about as good as it gets. I mean, isn't that ideal for the Fed, though, right? If, if they can get the economy stabilized, inflation under control and interest rates are at Three percent or so. They don't need to go back to ZERP, right? They don't need to go back to zero interest rates in order to keep the labor market functioning well. They don't need to worry about inflation running high. That gives them a lot of wiggle room in the event of a future crisis that they can cut or raise rates no, on either no end. No question about it. No question about it. I mean, that it's exactly you know they learned a valuable lesson here, and um, they they learned just like they learned a crazy valuable lesson in two thousand eight when they figured out that they could flood the system with liquidity and they could actually get away with it. Um, they and and it worked, you know, to a certain extent. Um, they figured out in the last, you know, six years they can do the same with interest rates and take them to a level that nobody thought we would ever see. And um, but but again, I would argue that in both cases there was no there was no proactive activity. It was all reactive. And I think that long term, the perfect environment is not the perfect environment for growth is not reactive. I, I certainly would agree. And I think one of the one of the issues here that makes this cycle different than other ones, at least the 2008 one, is the the combination of fiscal and monetary policy, right? 2008, 2009, 10, whatever period you want to call around that global financial crisis, the recovery, the Fed was the only game in town. We had austerity on the fiscal side of things during the uh, Obama years. We really didn't have any deficit expansion until Trump became president. And so when the Fed flooded the, mo the market with money, right, when it injects all this liquidity, it does through, through the banking system. And as a result, who are the institutions, the players, the people who have access to that system? System. Well, it's typically wealthier companies, wealthier individuals, and so they don't really have a high propensity to consume, right? They're not taking the extra money they get from QE and going out and buying more blue jeans or more eggs. They're going out and they're putting it in financial products, and so you have asset market inflation. Exactly. This time, this time around, you not only have QE, which is causing asset market uh, inflation, you're having uh, this fiscal stimulus, the stimmy checks, right? You're having the PPP loans that are going out there, and so now you have all this fiscal fuel on the fire that's fueling goods demand, services demand. It's pushing them up through the roof against this backdrop of of asset inflation, and that's where you get the actual inflation in the real economy. So the Fed used its playbook from 2008, 2009, but you have this government spending issue in there that was fundamentally different. And as I say, guys, the, the generals are always fighting the last war. I think the Fed assumed that we wouldn't have as much fiscal support as we did, uh, you know, like we did in 2008, 2009, 2010. And as a result, they added too much liquidity to the system yeah. and the combination of the two factors, you know, it burned down the house for a little while. Yeah, well. I, you can understand there was a little bit of panic on there was panic in the streets due to the pandemic because nobody knew you know what again what pandemic was yeah exactly they, nobody really understood you know what was happening and there wasn't you know there was no playbook around a pandemic mm -hmm. you know so so it was just it was a very different time in history and i i understand that i can give them i can give a lot of people a pass for trying to make things happen so you know and and to explain a lot of that stuff but ultimately you know when we look back at that whole period in time when we look back at the 0809 crisis and we look back at the you know 20 
2020 pandemic crisis, um, I think the, the takeaway from all this is that we we should have been, and when we look at what how China, what China did to themselves, and we look at other countries around the world, and and how the central banks have just missed it, um, I, I think that there is a takeaway here, which is, you know, we need. If, if you're going to have a Fed, which I don't even know why we need a Fed, but if you're going to have a Fed, then they have to be proactive as opposed to being reactive. And that's all it is. But that doesn't change my original um, kind of thought that that we're kind of in a perfect world now. Now, here's the next part of the question. If, if you do buy in the assumption low inflation rates and, and decent rates are, are, are actually, you know, the perfect storm, is investing in in what we consider to be a pretty healthy environment is that actually a good time or do you or is it you know did we just miss the opportunity of the decade you know last decade well did we miss the opportunity of the decade just a couple of weeks ago months ago you know when when basically a lot of these high beta stocks and a lot of these um a lot of these other stocks that we we look at were just crazy dirt cheap. Everything from digital assets all the way through to Chinese stocks. I mean, I don't care what you look at. You know, they were they were 100% lower than they are now, 50% lower. It, it's certainly possible, right? I mean, you can see the market bottoms out right as Fed funds reach their peak in the fall, and the market is already pricing in a, a lower trajectory of where the central banks are going to be moving moving forward. So that opportunity may be in the rearview mirror, right? But we can't get worked up about that. I think that if you have interest rates at an elevated level, inflation under control moving forward, it's going to open up a lot more opportunities because it means bond yields go down, but not back down to zero. And that means there's going to be more price discovery in the market, right? It wasn't going to be the whole environment where you could throw a dartboard at any given ticker, like Carvana, for example, and get insanely wealthy overnight because for some reason people are spitting up a car vending machine company. Um, there, there is going to be a little bit more back and forth in this market, but that's good. That's healthy. We need that in the stock market. We need price discovery. We need creative destruction where some companies, they have a bunk product, they have a bad service, and they go out of business because of it, right? You know, workers' concerns aside, people losing money aside, there are some some companies that are zombies that have just trudged through over the past decade because they've subsided on this phenomenon of low interest rates. And that means there's been capital misallocated everywhere across the board. So then we have this argument all the time here, which is, um, and, and I think a lot of people are challenged with this right now. It is there, you know, what is the, what is the most interesting, given what everything that you just said and given everything that we know right here, I mean, should we be leading a little bit on on like on growth or is there, you know, like like where's the place to go? Like if I want to have a little bit of an upside bias here, where am I leaning? Like, you know, like, like you know, what kind of what kind of underlines? I mean, assume liquidity and assume things like that. You know, are we going back to kind of is, is this is this a growth stock? Is it is it something else? I think that particularly as we make our way through uh, March after the end of the first quarter, you're looking at an environment where there could be considerable opportunity and growth over value, uh, and that means even small cap over large cap. The issue for me, the one you know, fly in my ointment, so to speak, is that we have these uh, very smart people down in Washington, D.C. that don't want to resolve this debt limit, debt ceiling debate, and while that's become a bit of a nothing burger and a joke over the years, 
I do remember what happened in 2011 where bonds just absolutely soared and stocks got crushed for a number of weeks. I remember that August week where we had the Dow Serene 5% four days in a row. And so in the event that these clowns in D.C. can't get their act together, you could see a really big hit to equity prices mid-year, June, July. Uh, but thereafter, once the dust settles and everyone loses their mind over the potential U.S. default and losing another one of our credit ratings, Stock should be a very, very well positioned. This is a very good year, historically speaking, the year after midterms, 16% uh, plus average gain since 1950. The January barometer says that we're due for a very strong rest of the year with markets up more than 5%. The average return for the final 11 months of that of any given year where the S&P gains more than 5% in January is 14.2% going back to 1950. So we could be on very strong footing. There's a lot of technical and quantitative tailwinds carrying us right now uh, if some policymakers just get out of the darn way. Time out for a quick second was 2022 a good year for the market and people was it a positive year no no right 2022 was bad right yeah okay you're talking like we, we've we've gone somewhere we're the same place we were at the beginning of december of 2022 we haven't gone anywhere i mean we went lower first but we're right where we were in December 2022. And you just told me December 20, you just told me 2022 was a horrible year. So at the end of the year, December 22, not the 31st, the beginning of the year, if you forget about when the first of the year starts, we've gone nowhere in two months. Stop throwing, stop throwing uh, rain on our parade. <laughs> Fair enough. Stop throwing water on our Fair enough. I mean, you guys parade. sound like, I mean, you sound like big I, We're just I'm, talking, we're just talking. I, I think you know, there's opportunity funny, around the market, but I mean, we've gone nowhere in two months. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. No, we, yeah, but it's not only fair, it's accurate. If you watch our, if you pay attention to our research, we always go nowhere. Okay, good. That's I mean, the whole, thing is, moves, the whole thing is, we go is, nowhere. The whole right. thing is big moves, you end up going nowhere. Okay. All yeah. Right. The, mm. the beauty of the stock market is that you get big moves if you don't go anywhere. <laughs> and uh, that's the nature of our game. Um, fair anyway, um, last thoughts. Chris, I'll give you a last word, anything you want. Certainly. I mean, I think the, the vol structure this week is fairly interesting for people because you see a spike on Wednesday. You see a spike on Friday. I think the Friday spike has a little bit less to do with the non-farm payrolls report. More through those AAA earnings that we have Thursday night after the close, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet. Uh, and, and so if you are a trader who's looking out or along the curve, this is exactly the time where if you want to avoid this stuff, sticking to that 45 DTE cycle is probably your best bet. And even when you look at the risk in the middle of February, the February CPI release, excuse me, the January CPI release on February 14th, has lower implied vol in the S&P and the NASDAQ than what's happening tomorrow and what's happening on Friday in this market. This is a market whose attention is quickly shifting. The old facts and facets of life of 2022, they may not be carrying over here into the new year, and it's happening in very quick order. I like it. Good stuff, man. Thanks, very Chris. Good. Let's take a quick 90-second break and come back. We got more Tasty Live coming up next with um, a market measure. It's Tasty Live. Thanks, Chris. The content of this podcast is provided solely by Tasty Trade Inc. and are not the direct views or opinions of any of its affiliate companies. This content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a research report, trading or investment advice, or a recommendation that any investment strategy, security, or futures product is suitable for any person. You are responsible for making your own investment decisions in light of your individual investment knowledge, objectives, and financial situation. 
applicable supporting documentation for any claims, including claims made on behalf of options programs, comparison, recommendations, statistics, or other technical data will be supplied upon request. Tasty Trading is not a licensed financial advisor, registered investment advisor, or registered broker-dealer.